My stepdad, Clyde Perry, adopted me when I was 13 years old. I got a letter sent to me from the court, and it was addressed to me. And um, it was my grandfather's uh, dying wish that I would be adopted and my name would be changed. I used his name, but I actually had another name. Um, Casentini was my last name, but I always signed Perry because I knew him since I was two years old. So he adopted me, and I got in the mail. I opened up the envelope, pulled out uh, a birth certificate. And the birth certificate said that he was my dad. And how about that? It was really fascinating. And it was a legal binding document of adoption. So then as I became a Christian three years later, four years later, at 16, um, I received what's called a spirit of adoption, where I was alienated and separated. I had no hope, and I was without God in the world. And then I get an invitation to be grafted in and to become a child of God. So when we sing, I am a child of God, it's really quite a big deal. And I just talked to a young lady who gave her child for adoption, lived with the family for a few weeks to get everything acclimated, and it's such a great noble step. And now that child has that spirit of adoption, and that birth mother has done such an honorable, wonderful uh, thing. And now the couple, praise the Lord, for taking that child and welcoming that child in. Even Deborah Harry, the lead singer for Blondie, interesting lady, she was adopted, and her parents told her at four years old, you were adopted. And she said she always grew up with this realization of acceptance. It, instead of it being a thing of awkwardness or feeling left out, she felt included and she felt like specified. And so I want to say to you, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have a spirit of adoption on you. Your name is recorded in heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're accepted in the Beloved. You're a new creation. The Bible says you're the head and not the tail. And that you're a recipient of all the blessings of God. These blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Signs and wonders are to follow you. And my Bible says in Ephesians 2.20, or 2.10 rather, that you're his workmanship, that you're created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. I was in church the other day, and a lady was talking to two, two uh, new friends. And she said, I've just become a Christian in January. I'm a brand new Christian. I'm a newbie, she said. And she said that my friend talked to me at the tennis court about our, this church and about the Lord, and I, and I, I got saved. She, I said, how, did, how does it feel? She goes, it's she's, she's probably in her 50s. She said, it's, it's amazing. I'm brand new. I, I just, and I stood in the presence of a new birth experience. And then I found out the name of the person that was playing tennis with her. So I talked to her. She's a member in the church, a great testimony. And that over, she said, I played tennis with her for two years. Seems like sometimes things take two years, but uh, you, you just stay with it, and you, and you walk the love walk, even in the culture of your recreation or your hobby or work. I just got an amazing testimony from a guy in the church who lost his job through the pandemic, got another job. Instead of commiserating, instead of sitting in self-pity, instead of feeling like a big crisis, identity crisis, he went out and got, put out his applications, got another job. And I'll give it, make it vague because it's private, but he's the elder of the whole group and got commended from the owner of the business for the quality and the skills that he's bringing. And he said, I learned these things in church. And this girl said, when she came to visit you guys, she said, I came to this church and the people that arranged to meet me 
they didn't show up. And she said, so I was, I, I was out there trying, getting ready to come in the building. I said, did you have culture shock? She said, oh, man. She, you know, it's like new kid on the block. It's like, remember when you went to a new school? That's scary. But anyway, she came through the door, and uh, she saw some people, and she, she asked this woman, do you know where the bathroom is? She said, yeah, follow me. So they, they, went, they went to the restroom, and then they came out, and she said, do you have anybody to sit with? No, well, come sit with our family. So she felt accepted. And then she said that, with the people she was talking to, she said they thought she was somebody else. And they said, hey, whatever. And they, they, when they realized it was a different person, they said, oh, well, you want to sit with us? So then they be, now they're friends. Because, you know, they, they, met, they thought it was somebody else, and instead of going, oh, you're not the person I thought. <laughs> Everybody say, awkward. Well, well, we're going to get ready to not be awkward. We're going to get ready for harvest. We're going to get ready to be uh, accepting, welcoming, accommodating, warm, loving, right? So I want to go to Jeremiah 33.3. And what I'm teaching on this series is Luke chapter 1, verse 17, which is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Everybody say, ready, ready. Set, set, go. Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And uh, so we need to be people on the go. We need to be people. You can't steer a parked car. So God wants us to be uh, ready and, and available and yielded. I want to teach you so you'll be like Paul the Apostle, where you will become all things for the sake of the gospel, that you will become a fellow partaker of it, become all things to all men, that you may save some. Uh, he that is wise wins souls. Uh, I am telling you that we're to lift up our eyes. The fields are white to harvest. Uh, we're going to talk about realizing that in the end times, difficult times will come. We're to not avoid that or ignore that. But we're also not to be depressed by it. We're not to be stuck as a result of it. We're actually to be stimulated to trust God and have scenarios training to what to do if or when. I think, for example, a brand new person comes through the doors. I'll show you where the bathroom is. Come on, sit with us, you know, and welcoming and being loving. Uh, somebody told me they feel like there's such a family kind of culture in our spirit. God, in 1992, told me to name this St. Louis Family Church. Uh, and it's because it's God's family. Whether you're single, whether you're widowed or divorced, whether you're, uh, you feel isolated or alone, listen, you're not alone. We're, we're in the family of God. And he, as I said, has, he's our father. And when we're, we have a new birth, we're born into his family. And we're born into the rights of sonship and daughtership. And our citizenship is with him. Our citizenship is in heaven. Years ago, in the Babylonian captivity, Jeremiah prophesied, call to me, verse 3, chapter 33, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Call to me. Call to me. Don't, don't be passive. Be active in your prayer life. Prayer is communication with God, invisible and yet real. I had a wonderful time in prayer yesterday. I got to walk around and pray, and the Lord ministered to me. And uh, I'll tell you, sometimes it's a duty, and sometimes it's difficult. Some, it's never a drudgery, but sometimes there are these interludes where tears of joy flood your, flood your, your, your life, and the, you, get a, you get an awareness of just the goodness of God. And, uh, but regardless of how, on the occasions, whether or not we get sensory reinforcement, 
we're to walk by faith and not by sight. This promise is his promise. Call to me, look, I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah the prophet was letting all the people know that if they're going to go forward in life, they need to understand that they are privileged and they're going to get inside information. That God doesn't hold, withhold these things. God invites us to call upon him. If any of us lack wisdom, we're to ask of God who gives to all men generously and he doesn't hold back. Every one of us is to be aware of this promise of the Old Testament and then all throughout the New Testament. In James chapter 1, verse 5, that if anyone lacks wisdom, we're to ask of God who gives to all of us generously. Ask God how to mix the paint before you put it on the wall. Ask God wording before you send the text. Ask God when you're in the midst of a temptation to get for God's grace to surge through you, to help you with your tongue, to be bright. Put a guard on my mouth, Lord. Help me, God. Help me. I tap into the, the power of the, of the new creation. God, I don't want to walk in the flesh here. Please help me to walk in the spirit. Who wants to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh? Well, the flesh and the spirit are constantly at war. And even though we're partakers of the divine nature, as long as we're in this human condition, we're going to have to contend with these things, Right? So these are the promises Jeremiah made when people like Daniel and Shadrach, Beshach, and Abednego were in the captivity of Babylon, not unlike Joseph in the bondage of, of the pressure under the Pharaoh and the convoluted idolatry of ancient Egypt, not unlike the hedonistic, pseudo-sophistication culture of the Roman Empire when Paul was appealing to Caesar, and having to carry the gospel and bear the truth into a crazy, idolatrous, devoid of the Holy Spirit world, and inject the truth and proclaim hope and lay hands on the sick, and believe God for great things. Who wants to see a great move of God in our generation? Jesus said to the early church what I believe he's saying again to us, lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest, and he's called us to be a house of prayer. And he said, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you don't know. What's that? It's stuff you don't know. <laughs> right? Write that down. That's profound. <laughs> we don't know everything, but God does. And he's not holding it from us. He's hiding it for us. And it's a seek and find kind of a thing. It's a glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. I'm preaching because I believe opportunities are knocking. I believe in a God of open doors. I believe in a God who opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing we cannot contain. I believe what God told those people in Jeremiah 29. Don't decrease, but increase. Don't hold back. Don't hide out. Get up there and you'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but after 70 years, I'm going to come in and I'm going to stir things up because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through right now. In some cases I do, but some, in some cases it's just between you and the Lord. But 
God sees your tears. God responded to the tears of Hezekiah. When Isaiah prophesied to him and said, get your house in order because you're about to die, he turned his face to the wall and he cried out to the Lord, tears running down his tear-soaked face. And God heard his prayers and he saw his tears. God hears your prayers and he sees your tears. And I want to tell you, God is good. And, and when the flood hit, I did not blame God. I realized that's a fallen world. When Kosovo got devastated, I did not blame God. I realized it's a fallen world. And in recent times in our world, the, the maladies and the social issues and the upheavals, similar to when I was a teenager in Southern California, it's, it's, these are cycles. It's just typical. It's just life in a fallen world. But we realize, nevertheless, God is good and the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And so, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Preaching a readiness. I'm preaching preparedness. I'm, I'm helping you to understand that you are sanctified and made useful for the master's work. Your prayers make a difference. That these signs will follow those who believe is not just for Jesus' ministry and the early apostles, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so therefore, there's this heightened biblical expectation that's biblically accurate and theologically sound that we are to have expectancy, also realizing that in the end times, difficult times will come. So we are realistic optimists, and we are full of deeply embedded faith. Faith comes by hearing God's word. Fear comes by hearing. That's why we've got to watch what we watch and listen and be careful what we listen to. For by our standard of measure, it'll be measured to us. More will be given besides. So let's get a hearty, huge measure of the word of God today. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we hear, we've heard Jeremiah 33.3 echoed from history. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. To walk you through your grieving. To walk you through the transition between jobs. To walk you through your marriage relationship. To walk you through how to raise your children. To walk you through how to answer the questions before they're asked to walk you through and trust God that he'll deliver you from the tempter and he delivers your feet from the snare of the fowler. And as we trust him for this, in Jesus' name, we trust you, God, to deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, right? Let's live ready. Jesus said, lift up your eyes to the early church. Lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest. There are people that are considering Jesus for themselves that ha maybe haven't in the past. Case in point, the lady at the tennis court with her new friend having conversation along the lines of Jesus while they're volleying and exercising and recreating and the Lord is causing this organic moment of communication and of clarity. And this lady, once she hears about Jesus and gives her heart to Jesus in a non-threatening and effective way, boom, her world changes. And even though the people didn't show up in the lobby, other people showed up. And God was sure to absorb and bring her in. And even though somebody thought she was somebody else, they became friends anyway. How about that? So everybody say this. To make a people ready, prepared for the Lord. Say spiritual happenings, divine increase, harvest of souls, gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
Answers to prayer. Now, Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He trusted him. They worked well together. He appreciated Timothy, and Timothy appreciated Paul. There was a good, it wasn't just, yeah, I can't wait till this is over with. It was like he was really committed. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son. Look at this. Grace, mercy, and peace. Say that. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. So then in verse oh, 14, 13, he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus and guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. In another place, 2 Corinthians 4, Paul said, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. The lady at the tennis court is a, a vessel, but with treasure in it, interacting with this friend, and she's a carrier of the love of Jesus and models it over a consistent period of time for two years and is, lives convincingly to invite and engage this person to want what she has. And it was such a flow because she was ready. Everybody say ready. ready. We've had to socially distance. We've had to separate our chairs and, and be sensitive to that. And we're coming through this. And once we do, I think there are people like that lady. I think there are people like Nicodemus that are coming out at night saying, what makes you tick? I think there are business owners that you're working for that are going to be open to con deeper conversation. Uh, we need to be prepared for increase. We need to lift up our eyes and be prepared to always give an account to anyone that asks us why we have this hope in us. And that then implies that our lives must have some sort of quotient of hopefulness where we're actually not in constant depression. We're not in anxiety or fear or worry because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We're custom made for this hour. We can do this. The church in the early times in Rome, they God anointed them and empowered them and signs and wonders followed them and they made it. They didn't just survive, they actually thrived and the gospel blasted through the then known world. Without the, the advent of the printed page, without air flight, without radio waves, without uh, all the kinds of provisions we have, we're in even in a better situation. More people are alive today than have ever lived. We, have our, we are required to lift up our eyes. In two years, there will be 8 billion people on the planet. People like us, churches like this, are called on occasions like this to be ready and prepared, sanctified and made useful for the master's work. Everybody say, ready, set, go. Now, it says in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. My family has been reading... Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a psychologist, a Jewish psychologist. Uh, I think he was German. And he was, going into the, uh, he was going into one of these concentration camps, and he had all this paperwork that he had worked on. And he appealed to this soldier, this foot soldier. He said, I'm a medical doctor. I've been studying. This is my, this is my life's work. And he thought that there would be some empathy there, even though it was harsh wartime. And the soldier was glazed with harshness and uh, a certain evil and just took it and threw the stuff away. Fortunately, Viktor Frankl 
had it all in him and he was able to bring it all back out again. But he, he thought, he realized, whoa, the milk of human kindness is disturbingly gone in Nazi Germany. He saw its harshness. He saw its harshness. He wrote this book because he saw people that survived the concentration camps and people that perished in the concentration camps. And he said they could take away your identity. They could take away all your stuff. They could take away your work. They could take away all that, your family members. But he said they cannot take away your decisions and they cannot take away your attitude. It's an amazing thing about human determinism. Well, I think it comes from God. So I think we're made in God's image so there would be a quotient of God's mercy and grace functioning even in the unsaved in terms of that where they're made in God's image. Does that make sense? I would attribute any good thing in human society to God, okay? But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so there's this dilemma. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is it's not just human determinism. When Daniel made up his mind, it wasn't just human determinism. He was tethered hard to God. And he had heard from Jeremiah that God's going to work things out. It's going to be 70 years, but God's going to strengthen you. So Daniel hunkered down and thought, okay, man. And that's a lifespan. So Daniel's basically told, your whole life's going to be hard. It's going to be weird around you. And you're just going to have to figure it out. But he adapted. He, for example, studied conversation for three years so that he could step up and speak to the king. And I, I'll tell you, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is on me to preach this. Because God is trying to make us ready. And th there's some things we know and there's some things we don't know. That's why he says, call upon me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things that you do not know. So that's a handy thing that we have, can peer into the supernatural world with God and say, Lord, help me to know what's up ahead. Give me a prophetic heads up. And he said he would. But here's what he says to us in this threefold punch of the first seven verses of this chapter. He said, uh, the things which you've learned and heard and received uh, by many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I feel like we need to be ready when the occasion occurs where people come in from different degrees of inexperience or, or newness. And we're ready to encourage them on the faith. We're guiding them concerning salvation, leading them in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, teaching them about the authority we have as believers, uh, telling them about how dynamic God is in terms of his mercy, uh, the prayer life, and all these kinds of, of considerations. He said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Peter Jackson was given the opportunity to create a film about World War I. Kansas City has a museum, a World War I museum, a preeminent major World War I museum back in, what was it, 1915, 16, 17? And it was trench warfare and soldiers. And in his movie, he took these, he documented this movie, he wanted to honor his grandfather, a British guy that fought in the war. And he's very good. He did, you know, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and things like that. My wife just recorded one of those with the director's extended version, it's gonna be like 12 months of watching these, these movies. And they're really great. They're really great. Allegorical stories about good and evil and, and righteousness, it's good. Tolkien was from South Africa and he wrote good things. He was concerned that he was never gonna be able to get his work done. He got older, and he, but he got the books done. And I wanna tell you, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And if you feel worn out, and, a bit disheveled, I'm going to tell you, 
The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. You go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Grandma Moses didn't get discovered with her amazing primitive painting skill until she was in her 70s. And a New York art critic was fascinated by this elderly farm community self-taught painter. And up into her 90s, she was painting beautiful scenes of horses and buggies and green trees and in red barns and in cornfields. And she sold them for, they were, they're, they're, they're some of the most pricey, beautiful paintings. Look up Grandma Moses. Look up Pablo Casals in his 80s as a cellist, was practicing for seven and eight hours a day. Somebody said, why, Pablo, are you practicing so much? He said, I think I could get better. God saves, in my view, Psalm 92, when you're planted, you don't go to the church of your choice. Go to the church of God's choice. You're not buried. You're planted. And you, you, you bloom where you're planted. One of my staff members said, you know, I, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted, and even if I make mistakes, I'm just staying put. I thought that, that was a good word. I haven't checked on what she meant and what mistakes she had made, but well, somebody's trying to, yeah, somebody's probably trying to talk to her to go somewhere else. Don't let anybody talk you in or out of anything. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Just be led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the head of the church. Put your life in his hands. Ask him to show you what to do. He'll show you what to do. Then do it. Right? Write that down. That's awesome. So soldiers have to endure hardship. My brother and I grew up in San Diego. Right next to our house was Camp Pendleton. Right around the corner from Mission Bay where we lived was the harbor. And that's where we saw routinely all the aircraft carriers, submarines, uh, the Navy, there was Air Force uh, around. We saw the branches of the military during war, the, the war of Vietnam. It was concentrated. It was present in the suffering. We would see on the news, local news, families, young families, a lady pregnant, kid going away, coming back. You know, the baby would have been born. And, you know, sometimes there'd be a baby in the arms, a toddler. The soldier had been out in duty and didn't ever get to meet the kid and would kind of throw their arms around the sweetheart and then be introduced to their little child. And I would see that on black and white TV, and I would just think as a kid, this is a hardship, man. This is a hardship for the soldier. It's a hardship for the wife. It's a hardship for the whole family. And Paul said, endure hardship as a soldier. Daniel had to look at the situation as it was, not as he idealized it or as he had wishful thinking or longingly looking back or being upset uh, were imbibing himself to just numb himself through the process of the, the hurt. He faced it squarely. He faced it soberly. He faced it with faith. Victor Frankel, you ought to read that book. John, Pastor John loves that book. We've, I've read and reread and quoted Victor Frankel. I don't know where he ended up spiritually, but I do believe his points were pretty strong about the people that survived in the, in the camps were the people who had a purpose every day. And get this, the ones that got up and were oriented towards serving one of the other or some of the other prisoners, taking care of their feet, washing their feet, or making sure they shared their bread with them, or making sure their bed was deloused, or, or, or just get, you know, taking care of somebody. And they thrived for years, and they came out on the other side. He said some just lost hope, and they perished. He noticed a process. And this is what's being fended off right now by the grace of God in your life. That's why Paul started out this book with grace, mercy, and peace. 
And in fact, in all the epistles of Paul, there are only three books that say mercy in the introduction, and those are the pastoral letters. And pastors and churches need mercy. <laughs> we all need mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is that we don't get what we deserve. God's grace is we get what we don't deserve. Mercy is we don't get what we deserve, which is eternal punishment in hell. And grace is we get what we don't deserve, all of God's lavish riches, his Holy Spirit. We appropriate all these things by faith. Well, the gifts of the, and the power of God, come on. We had a testimony on Friday night. A, a guy was at work, and a cynical guy said, let me tell you a story about this religious guy. He's a, he's a soccer coach. This happened to my neighbor. It blows my mind. He said, what? He said, the, the, their, their daughter was in, in, in this sport, and um, he noticed there was something that wasn't right regarding her health. He was, he was trying to help her with strength training, and she just was diminishing. And he, he said, he, and this religious guy, what we now know, he had a word of knowledge. And he talked to the parents and he said, listen, I, I feel it's important. You get your daughter to a doctor immediately. They said, okay. They didn't know nothing. There were no real indications. She said, well, my side has been hurting. They took her to the doctor. The doctor evaluated her. We need to get her in the ER right now. Her spleen is about to blow up. She had a terrible blood condition that would have been fatal. Had the, the religious guy that was a coach just held back, he stepped out from his zone and operated with awareness, with readiness, with preparedness, and the Holy Spirit wanted to activate a word and give him a prompting, and, and it was anointed, apparently, because the parents immediately acted upon it, and it was to the saving of the doctor. It gets better. Because then the guy said, well, so what do you think about that? He goes, I think it was a divine intervention. So, well, how did that make you feel? He goes, this God stuff, may, there may be something to it. Everybody say, get ready. get ready. Get ready for supernatural happenings. Get ready for increase. Get ready for breakthrough. Get ready for the blessings of God to come upon you and overtake you. Well, Pastor Jeff, I've been managing my expectations for decades. You're trying to give me false hope. That's the last thing I want to do. In fact, I feel that the Bible is super balanced with, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Take courage. He said, I have overcome the world. This is victory. That in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You might be going through the cloudy depression. And God is the glory and the lifter of your head. You may be grieving right now. And the Bible says we don't grieve like the world grieves. We grieve. It means we grieve. But we don't grieve the same way in morbidity. We don't get bitter and dismissive of God. We go, wait, God, I need your help. Oh, God, help me, God. And he's a very present help in trouble. <laughs> Isn't he? And we don't go, why, God, why me, why me? We also don't go, why not me? I've heard people say that, too. I don't, I don't go with either extreme. I just realize it's a fallen world, and I am fixing my hope on the living God, and I want it to be practical in its translation. I want it to be thorough in, its, in, in, in the realization of it. I want to see the salvation of the Lord hit this house. I want to see my house, my marriage, my kids, my grandkids. I want to see your family, extended family, saved. I want to see your, a blessing come upon your work. 
where whatever you put your hand to prospers. I want to see your children rise up and realize my parents' conclusion about the faith. That's what I want. I want to serve the Lord and to step out in obedience to the calling on their life and not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good and not yield to peer pressure, not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right? Let's continue here. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul's telling Timothy to keep priorities and make sure you're a prayer warrior and a thoughtful, considerate consumer of the word of God and a daily worshiper and surrendered, yielded vessel serving God as primary. A soldier is GI, government issue. We're God's property. We're GI. We're God's issue. And we are submitted to him. We fix our hope on him. We belong to God. Our families belong to God. This church belongs to God. Jesus is the head of this church. What would you have us do? Here are all our plans, Lord. Bless our plans. It's like, God, please bless us with your plans. What are you saying? We call upon you. You'll answer us and you'll show us great and mighty things that you know not. He wants us to be ready. I'm glad that coach, that soccer coach, was ready to be used by the Holy Spirit to ultimately save a young lady's life. There was a lady that gave me an email. Her 93-year-old dad had a twisted bowel. That's what our grandmother died of, and we think our dad probably had something similar. We experienced death from it and loss, and we prayed and cried and we lost. But she was driving two hours, and her niece was in touch with her, and the dad was in agony, 93 years old. The doctor comes in and It occurs to the lady, she comes to the third service, and she said, you preach, Pastor Jeff, that you're to be specific. So I said, God, when the doctor puts his hand on my dad, I pray your hand would be there and your power would flow into him. Jesus' name, amen. That's really not even what I teach about praying for somebody to get surgery. I pray God will direct the surgeon's hands. She prayed better. Her specification was better, and here's what happened. When the doctor went in to say, sir, we're going to have to do an emergency surgery, and he put his hand on his belly, he said, wait, something just moved. I've never heard of this in my life. I've been in ministry for 40 years, and I've had, we had two twisted bowel people in our own family. And, he said, and so he checked it again. It flipped back over and didn't have to have the surgery. And two hours later, dad was home having fun, 93 years old. She did some research and said it was exactly the time when she prayed that specific prayer. When the doctor, I I said, I I didn't tell her yet. Well, what I usually pray is God direct the surgeon's hands and they'll be anointed. She said, God, when his hand goes on him, that your hand will be on him. It's like, hallelujah, that's even a better prayer. Boy, you want your kid's soccer coach to be filled with the Holy Spirit and available for divine happenings. You want the friend that's at the, at the tennis court to have a buoyancy about the faith and not be goofy and not be a carnival person and know how to share Jesus effectively in a non-threatening way. They're credible and you relate to them and they're kind and it's real. And over the process of time, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And Paul said in another place in 1 Corinthians 6, run in such a way that you may win. Did you know God wants us to win? 
He that is wise wins souls. God wants us to have success wherever we go. Mother Teresa dis dismissed this. She said, God does not call us to success. He calls us to obedience. I said, come on, Mother Teresa. You're one of the most successful women in the history of Christians. And, and you know, I don't share some of her theological background as a Catholic, but man, I love, she's from Jacova. She, she was this little Albanian nun and she decided to go to the herding of the herding in, in India and, 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 and dignify people's lives at the last moments of their lives. And God, she's one of the most successful of that sort of ministry of anybody ever in the planet. She had to turn money down. Somebody showed me a letter where she declined uh, uh, support because it had strings attached. I actually have that letter with her signature. My kids bought it for me because I was collecting signatures of famous Christians. And Mother Teresa signed that. No, thank you. I don't need those funds. There's strings attached. I thought, you go, girl. There's a statue of her. And there's a Mother Teresa Center in Jacova where we serve. And I like that. But I disagree with her point. I believe God, she was successful. And if we, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's been your life experience. That's what God has actually mandated for each one of us in this house. There's a victory quotient embedded in you and me. There's a soul winning magnetism that is embedded in you and me. There's an overcoming dynamic that is embedded in you and me, that in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Divine happenings, answers to prayer, opportunities for evangelism, the occasions where we get tempted, we pray and trust God. This is also a, a, the other side of the coin for help. God, it, look, look, turn over to 2 Timothy 3. I'm running out of time, so I'll just get to this. It says, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So we understand people will be treacherous, irreconcilable, godless, arrogant, and so forth. So we have got to understand the times. We've got to be able to navigate as Daniel did through Babylon. We've got to understand how Paul was able to navigate through the harshness of the Roman Empire. We've got to understand how jo Joseph thrived even though in ancient harsh uh, Egypt. We've got to understand how the Christians cultivated a spirit of prayer during the late 60s and early 70s, anti-culture, uh, counterculture, drug-infested craze that occurred after World War II amongst the baby boomers. We got to understand 2021 and the power of the Holy Spirit, a year of strength, of hope and joy, and of courage. Only be strong and very courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. Moses died and Joshua was raised up there had been the laying on of hands for a spirit of wisdom to transfer into his 77-year-old body. And he steps up and emerges on the scene with a lot of game left in him. The church, when Jesus died, they were despondent. We're about ready to have Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter and Passover. And we're about ready to affirm that significant moment in history, the historical elements of our treasured purposes but we also take these things and say, that God is my God. I serve a God that has capabilities beyond what I can see. I, I'm following after a Holy Spirit who is guiding me into all the truth. Uh, he does not withhold those blessings. He's pouring out these blessings upon us. Opportunities are knocking, and I intend to be ready. Ready. Not nervous, not all wound up, just yielded. Do more push-ups. 
just in case God has you do some heavy lifting. Do more prayer just in case God wants to hear and answer your prayer. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. Get a hold of the scriptures and study how to lead somebody to Christ so that when you're at the tennis court or at the soccer field or wherever you may be at work at the cooler and they say, what makes you tick? I'm glad you asked. Jesus changed my life. Well, how do I get to know him? Repent, believe, trust him. Well, I I do believe. Take it personally. Surrender fully to him. Well, switch it from just head knowledge to a personal heart commitment. Make a devotion. Make a commitment to him. He's committed to you. He's devoted to you. Just receive him. As many as receive him, to them he gives the right and the power to become the children of God. I remember a Japanese research scientist with his wife. He told me, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Buddhist. I said, well, we have a Buddhist section in our church. He said, really? Where? I said, wherever you sit. It's a Buddhist section. My uh, tailor that would hem my, my suits and stuff, she said, her name's Kim, and she said, all oh, you pastors are always trying to convert me. I said, I'm not trying to convert you. We have a Buddhist section at our church. Where? I said, wherever you come and sit. She said, oh. So that's, I used it twice. It was funnier the first time. She didn't think it was that funny. But beyond funny, the Japanese research scientist, brilliant, logical, Buddhist, who had a framework of not a personal God, had a concept. The Buddhist concept is different than the revelation of God, a a monotheistic God, creator of heaven and earth, who sent his son, who, who was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life and performed miracles and was crucified under the hands of Pontius Pilate, was buried rose again and sent the Holy Spirit. And he had to process that for two years. And he came up to me and he was like a child. He said, this is my first communion. I'm receiving communion. And then he got baptized. And it was like the best, it was the best because he arrived at the conclusion. He sat by you. He saw how authentic you were. He saw that nobody was trying to pound him over the head. You know there was one guy that was here, came for two years, and at one point somebody decided to badger him, tell him, you better repent. He told his wife, if they do that to me again, I'm not coming back. Now that family that badgered him, they came and went, but that guy, fortunately, that peeled off of him, gave him time to think, gave his heart to the Lord. That's what I want to be like when I grow up. That's what I want this atmosphere to be like, where it's it's, it's conducive for people to come to Jesus. I've got fish all over my tie. Graham Trout gave it to me from the company he works at. He works for Vineyard Vine, and it has a trout on it, which I thought was cool since his name is Graham Trout. He was in our church. His dad's an attorney. His mom's a nurse. He had 50 billion siblings. And uh, he goes to Belmont School. He learns at our church in drama how to be assertive and how to overcome stage fright, and how to be bold. And he told me, Pastor Jeff, I just went through all this business school and the stuff that I learned in the drama was the stuff that eludes people, that takes years to cultivate and I learned it at church. The lady on the email said, I learned this at church. I've never had a kind of experience like this. I'm trying to wrap my head around the 93 year old dad that got saved or that got healed. The guy that prays for the gets concerned for his, uh, the member of the, of the team and says, hey, I think you need to get this, your child to the doctor immediately, has a word of knowledge. This is what I'm talking about. 
I, I love dynamic, saturated, spirit-filled services because I want them to inform us so when we go out into our daily lives at Walmart or across the street or whatever, how in our interaction, we're carriers of that living dynamic. Um, uh, that's why God gives us dynamic church services so we can have dynamic daily lives in the 24-7, right? Do you follow that? There's so much more God has for us. Let's all stand up on our feet. Let's stand up on our feet. Father, help us with adaptation. Say this with me. Versatile, flexible, adaptable, resourceful. See, resourcefulness is the quality of being able to cope with a difficulty and, and, and the ability to deal with unusual problems. Lift up your hands. Father, I pray for divine equipping, fresh stirrings, fresh infillings. The guy that's facing retirement and making decisions about the next steps of his obedience. The lady who suffered a loss and is still recovering from the heartache. God, bring healing and wholeness. You're near the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. God, please draw close to her and minister to her and soothe her aching soul. Father, I pray for the people who have lost their way and have grown apathetic, that they'll have a fresh visitation from the Holy Spirit and get personal revival and have seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. God, any of us and all of us that have been offended or hurt or stabbed in the back, as we stand praying, we forgive if we have anything against anyone. Say this, I forgive and I bear no grudge and I carry no resentment and he that the sun sets free is free indeed. Take your communion elements. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your body was broken for healing for our bodies and your blood was shed for the forgiveness of our ridiculous sins. You know whose sins I hate the most? Mine. You know what sins nailed Jesus to the tree? Mine. Jesus died for me. I needed salvation as much as any human being ever. I have no business pointing a finger at judging anybody else. I know Jesus died for my sins, and man, I am grateful for his mercy. Thank God for his redemption. Now, as we do this, in case you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, before you receive communion, ask Jesus to come into your life. Submit to him, repent, turn to him. Just dare to believe. Just trust Him. Submit to Him. If you've been wayward or distant or you've drifted or you're holding even bitterness toward God, just say, God, okay, you, you know what exactly what's going on with me. Here I am. But I, I, I want to yield to you. Help me, please. Help me, please, Lord. Say, help me, Lord. And if you need healing in your body, receive Jesus as your healer. I am. He's my healer. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. I lay claim to heal, healing from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And my fresh, energetic, young body is quickened in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me of all unrighteousness. I thank you there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, hallelujah.